You're listening to audio from Citizens Church in Annapolis, Maryland. I'm Pastor Joey, and I hope what you're about to hear blesses you, increases your love and knowledge of Jesus, and answers any questions that you might have about Him. Good morning, everybody. Happy Resurrection Sunday. So good to see you all. I am six foot five. This podium is short. I'm going to take a moment to raise it up a little bit. And while I'm doing that, you can turn to Psalm 23. All right, that's, that's better. Well, good morning. So glad you guys are here. My name is Joey. I'm one of the pastors here. It's my honor to typically preach God's Word when we gather together. I'm excited to do just that on this Resurrection Sunday. So we come to Psalm 23, a very famous psalm. If you've been in church for a while, you probably have heard this psalm before. Even if you have not been in church, if you're not a frequenter of the church, you likely have heard this psalm too. It's very, very famous. And I will admit, though, that this psalm, Psalm 23, is not a typical Easter passage, is it? We don't usually cover the psalm on Easter, but it's perfect. It's perfect for today. And let me tell you why. Because we all need a shepherd. Every single one of us is in dire need of a great shepherd, a true shepherd, a true shepherd who will find us, who will seek us out when we are lost. And that's what God wants to be for you. And that's what God wants to be for us. He wants to be that true shepherd, the great shepherd. And so as we cover this uh, passage together, we're going to see just how unique and special and wonderful God's offer is to be our great shepherd. Before we do that, let's bow our heads together and pray. Father, our great shepherd, we come to you and we ask that you would open our eyes to see your truth and, and, and teach us, Lord, and help us to believe how, how, how desperately we need you, how, how without you we are totally and utterly lost on our own. And so, God, I pray that you would uh, persuade our souls today to trust in you and to follow you and to find great comfort in you. We thank you for Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, who did not remain dead, who did not remain in the grave, but who you brought again from the dead on the third day, raised for our sins, raised for our just justification so that we can have life in you. Without him, Without this event, the resurrection, Lord, it all comes undone. And it all means nothing. And so, Lord, we are grateful and we give thanks for proving that you are true and reliable. In your name, amen. So God wants to be your shepherd. But the first thing then we have to establish is that we're lost. Every single one of us are lost. That's why I want to first establish. Read with me the first only five words of this psalm. It says what? The Lord is my shepherd. And so what does that, what does that infer? What's the implication from that? What it means is that we are sheep. <laughs> that we are sheep. Now, sheep, us being called sheep, that's one of the main metaphors throughout the entire Bible. I don't know if you knew that. It's used over 400, to describe, 400 times to describe us that we are sheep. Now you hear that, and you might think to yourself, oh, we're fluffy, cuddly, cute sheep. That's a nice thought. But look, if you're like going to ask a shepherd what they think about sheep, ask a shepherd what, what their experience is like with sheep, a shepherd's going to roll their eyes and tell you how frustrating it is to have to lead sheep. Here, here's what one uh, a Scottish not here, this doesn't happen here, but in, you know, in Scotland and in Ireland, places like that, pastors are formerly shepherds a lot. So hey, one, one guy in Scotland, formerly a shepherd, becomes a pastor. Here's what he says about sheep. Here's what, here's what his uh, commentary is. He says this, 
Sheep are stupid animals. <laughs> sheep are stupid animals who frequently lose direction. In addition, sheep are obstinate. And when the lost sheep is found, it is difficult to round it up unless you scare it with a dog. When you do finally round it up, you must seize it, cast it down, tie its feet together, and carry it home. Sheep are not clean and cuddly. Contrary, they are subject to nasty pests and need to be soaked in chemicals to rid them of lice, ticks, and worms. Other fun facts about sheep, if the pen right, that they're supposed to go into their home is directly in front of them, they won't go into it. They won't enter it unless they're led there, unless they're taken there. Another fun fact about sheep, they have to be led all around the pasture, all around the landscape, otherwise they will stay in that one spot, eat all the grass in that isolated area, eat through the grass, into the dirt, into the dirt, into the dirt. Sheep will harm themselves if they are not led around the pasture. Behold, the great metaphor for us. Us, human race, us, humanity. Look, whether or not you like this metaphor, you have to agree that it's pretty accurate, that it's pretty true. We, on our own, we get into trouble, we get hurt, and we're frequently lost. And this is why each of us needs a leader. This is why each and every single one of us look to somebody or something greater than ourselves to be our guide, to give us that sense that it's going to be okay to take us where we are and lead us out of it into something greater and bigger and better and reassuring. We all do this, and we cannot help it. And at the, like the 1950s, and this is just a statistics, and they proved this, that in the 1950s, uh, participation in organized religion started taking a decline, and it hasn't stopped. It's been in a decline ever since. People just, uh, mass, a massive exodus out of organized religion. But look, <laughs> Something fills that place. Something always fills that place. I want to read one more quote for you, actually. That, just, that one author kind of captures this reality that every single one of us here are looking for that shepherd, looking for that leadership, looking for that something that's going to make us feel like we are righteous, that we are enough, that we matter, that it's going to be okay. Here's what one author writes. He says, why is it that we seem more fixated on righteousness on enoughness than any time in recent memory. At the risk of gross oversimplification, for centuries we relied on capital R religion to tell us that we are okay. Clergy revealed not only the shape of true righteousness, but also how we might come to be associated with it. Church provided us a place to go with our guilt and our shame. For more and more people in the modern world, that no longer feels like an advisable or available option. Some like Frederick Nietzsche, predicted that we would find peace in the deconstruction and emerge into a new and gloriously liberated mode of human existence without divine law to make us feel poorly about ourselves. Words like guilt would lose their sting. Alas, though, if our current culture, cultural climate tells us anything, it's that the needs addressed by capital R religion, formerly, hope, purpose, Connection, justification, enoughness, security. They haven't diminished as churches have diminished. The psychic energy involved has not evaporated. It can't because it has to go somewhere. With the altars off the table, 
Fresh targets have cropped up all over the place, from the kitchen to the gym to the computer screen to the bedroom to your workplace. Righteousness, you might say, is running amok, and some part of us simply can't help but believe in these forms of righteousness. What's more, it often seems that the further we retreat from a shared religion, the further we retreat from God, the more contenders emerge to fill its place, his place. These new religions, these new shepherds, go by different names, but function more or less the same. If we used to go to church once a week, now we go to church every hour. The point is that as our trust in God and His leadership and shepherding, as our trust in the things that He's put in our lives to make us feel these things that He wants to, to give us that guide, as we have separated ourselves from it, we have attached ourselves all the more severely to other shepherds to other forms of security, to other forms of leadership. Have you ever asked yourself, why, is, why, is, you know, uh, uh, why has being a sports fan become so intense? Why has politics become so intense? Why has climbing the ladder become so intense? Why has life become all about achievements and being recognized and being impressive? What's going on there? Why is this? It's because we are longing to be found. We're longing to be secure. So the question is not whether or not you're lost. The question is not whether or not you're a sheep. The question is, who's your shepherd? You got one. I guarantee you all of us got one. The question is, who is it? Who have you chosen? And listen to me loud and clear. God wants to be your shepherd. Here's what he's saying to you. Here's what he's inviting you into today. He's saying that longing in you for for guidance, that longing in you to be protected, brought in, and and, and kept safe, I put that there. God says to you, I put that there, and I want to fulfill the very desire that I put within you. I want to be your great shepherd. I want to be your true shepherd. I don't want you to be lost in life anymore. I don't want you to, I don't want you to be lost. I want to find you. And that's what we're going to see now, that we can be led in life. That God, as our true shepherd, wants to lead us in life. And listen, my hope is that as you see this description of what he is like, what his ways are like, what his leadership is like, that you'll see that there is nothing that comes close to this great shepherd. And if you choose something else, if you attach yourself to something else to make you feel like you are enough, to make you have that, that safety, you are settling. You are settling, and you are going down a path in a direction that's only going to be hurt. That's only going to have hurt. It's only going to have disappointment. That's, all, that's only going to, it's not going to do what, for you what you hope it will. He wants to be your true shepherd, and who is he? What is he like? First, as he leads us in life, God leads us one in faithfulness. God leads us in faithfulness. Look at verse one. The Lord is my shepherd. You'll notice in your Bibles, on the screen behind me too, it says capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. The Lord, that's Yahweh, that's his name. Now look, names are really, really important in ancient times. A name summarized who you were, what you were all about, it defined you. We have a lot of names that we've given God, that we've attributed to God. And all throughout the Bible, there's tons of names that we've put on him that he receives, but there's only one name, one name that he's given himself, that he has disclosed to us. 
into this name, Yahweh. All caps, L-O-R-D. Do you, know where, do you know where that originates from? It's a really famous classic story in the Bible. It's very important. Capital L-O-R-D comes from Exodus 34, where Moses, he says to God, who am I dealing with here? I want to know, God, that you're going you're gonna to come through for us, Israel. I mean, these, these sheep are obstinate. They're stupid. They don't fall. God, I want to know that, you, that, that you're committed to us. Who are you really? And God says, okay. I'll tell you who I am. I want to tell you my name. My name is Yahweh. And then he explains his name. He preaches his own name. And here's what his name means. He says, listen to this. Because I think sometimes we think, oh, God's mad at me. God's out to get me. God's so disappointed in me. Is that who God is? Here's who God says he is on his own terms. He says, I am merciful and gracious. I am slow to anger. I am abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. I keep steadfast love for thousands of generations, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. In short, here's who God is. He is abundant in love and generosity, and he forges with us strong covenant forever and ever. Here's what you need to realize then. This, that's who God is. I mean, a very simplistic way, it's not even enough to summarize it, but this means God is faithful. And His faithfulness, it's strong, it's unending, it will not flake out. So here's what we need to realize about Yahweh, about our God, about the great shepherd. He is not like our flawed leaders. He does not struggle with the same deficiencies of the people that we put our hope in, the people that we look to. See, our, even the most altruistic leaders... The people we love and the people that we look to, even the most altruistic leaders, they're tempted by using us as means to an end. They can only really offer us transactional relationship. You keep up your end of the bargain and I'll keep up my end of the bargain. And to make it moreover, even the best of leaders, they're limited on time. They're limited on energy. They're limited in availability. They cannot be involved to the degree that your heart cries out for. They're limited. They're deficient. Yahweh shares none of those deficiencies because he is abounding in love. It never ends. He, he keeps steadfast love for thousands. It never ends. When we come to the great shepherd who is Yahweh, we come to a faithful shepherd and his faithfulness has no end. He will not flake out. He will not retire. He will not disappear because he is faithful. He is forged to us in strong covenant. He is only reliable. He only keeps his promises. So God is faithful. That's who our shepherd is, but he's also sovereign. He leads us in his sovereignty. Look at verse one, the end of it. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. What I shall not want. And in the original language in the Hebrew, that phrase is all one word. I don't know what it is. I can't remember it. It would probably be really hard to pronounce anyway, but it's one word, okay? It's one word, and here's what's interesting, and this is where we start getting get an idea of what David's trying to relay to us. This one word, I shall not want, it's used before in the Bible, somewhere else in the Bible. I think that David's quoting, and he's, he's kind of taking taken this word and borrowing it, but it's supposed to allude to something before. What is it? Well, this same word is used in Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 7, where Israel 
After 40 years of wandering in the wilderness and in the desert, they're about to enter into the promised land, and Moses tells them, all throughout your wandering, through your 40 years, you were never in want. Meaning, God provided for you through your wandering, through the wilderness. But what else? Uh, With this wandering background, this wilderness background in mind, David writes in verse 2, He makes me or causes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. The imagery here is it's like God is a shepherd who goes before us, who scouts out for us safe, lush pastures for us to rest. And it says, he leads me beside still waters, which is actually better translated as he leads me beside waters of resting places, like an oasis. God leads us into an oasis. And again, this this wilderness background, this wilderness imagery is in mind because in Exodus 15, during Israel's wandering through the wilderness, it says this in Exodus 15, when they, Israel, and their wandering, came to Elam, some region, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. See, God, Yahweh, goes before them and finds for them a place that is safe, that's an oasis, that's a resting place. That's what God does in His sovereignty. He works before us, for us, to take care of us, to provide for us in our wandering. And it's like David then sees this this, um, grand story where God provides for us in the desert. It's like he sees that story as a framework for how to understand our own lives. It's like we're in a journey. It's like we're in a desert and God is our shepherd, and he looks out for us, and he takes care of us. So much so that, that David states at the end of verse 3, he restores my soul, meaning my heart is ruled by peace. I, I'm relieved. I am at rest because this shepherd who is sovereign, all-powerful, he's in control, he looks out for me. I am on his mind. He considers me. He's numbered every single hair on my head. He's known every single one of my days. That is who our sovereign shepherd is, and he looks out for us. This reminds me of Matthew 6. Listen to just some of the phrases that we find later on in the Bible. This is what it's like to follow our shepherd, our sovereign shepherd. We're taught, do not be anxious about your life. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? Your father knows what you need even before you ask. We're not on our own to look out for ourselves. God looks out for us. Now pause. I know that sounds nice. I know that at the very same time, that's very hard to believe. Because the reality, at least that we can see with our eyes, our circumstances and our situations tell us to be anxious. Tell us that there's so much mystery. Tell us that there's so many questions we have and we don't have answers and we don't seem to have direction. We're just, we're lost. (laughs) We feel lost. 
when you look at your circumstances and your situation, I know that it's very easy and natural to feel lost. And I know our emotions, my emotions are commanded and directed by our circumstances. That's just how it is. And so you come to this and you're like, how can David say he restores my soul? My soul is at peace. My soul is at rest. I don't get that. I'm not there. I don't share in that state of being. How can I then? How can I tap into what David is living in here? And the answer is actually in the very statement he makes. He says, he says, uh, 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 what is it? Here, here, he restores my soul. Sorry, I forgot. He restores my soul. That same language is used just a few chapters before in Psalm 19, where David says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Listen to that. The law, the word, the written word of the Lord is perfect. It revives, restores, creates peace in the soul. So how is it possible for us to share in what David is describing here? How is it possible for us to agree that, yes, he restores my soul? Here's what it is. Perhaps, perhaps we are far more fixated and obsessed with our circumstances and our situation, far more concerned about all the questions that we have, far more concerned about the what if and how it's going to and how is that fair, and far more concerned with the disappointments and unmet expectations. Perhaps we're far more preoccupied by those things than we are with the Word, the Word of God. See, the way that we enter into green pastures, we enter into resting places of water, that oasis where our soul is restored, is by not staring into our circumstances and situation, but staring into God's promises. Staring into His power. Staring into the testimony that reminds us that we don't need to be in control. We don't need every question answered. And it doesn't always need to make sense because our great shepherd is sovereign and he is in control so that I don't have to be. Listen, when I look back at my life, and this is just being honest, when I look back at my own life, I can think of two instances in particular where I was so heartbroken I was so confused and anxious with only questions about what is going on here. The following day, after these times I'm thinking of, I came to the Word and opened up the Word and I read something that just leaped off the pages to me and it just hit me differently. It's, it's almost like God put that there for me in that moment. I am telling, I'm, I'm telling you, it's very possible to, 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 for it to seem like things are out of control, to have so many questions, yet abide in peace because the Word of God tells us that He is sovereign, He is in control, His truth, His truth reigns. And so instead of our emotions, our emotions being determined by our situation, our emotions are submitted to what is true in His Word. And that is how our souls are revived. That is how our souls are put at rest. God is faithful. God is sovereign. Let, let's see what else what David writes next, though. We continue on to verse 3. He says, He leads me 
and paths of righteousness for his name's sake. What, what's David mean to convey there? Here's what it is. That God has a design for you. That God has a design for all of us. That God has uh, a system. of uh, a system. God has rules and regulations. God has a, this massive complex and wonderful design for us. And he wants to lead us in it, and he wants us to walk in it. It glorifies him. It is for our good. He leads us in paths of righteousness. God wants for us righteousness. He wants us to live there, walk there, be led by him into righteousness. Now, I know maybe, maybe someone here, maybe several people here are thinking to yourself, righteousness, ugh, what an archaic word. What a restrictive word. What a, what a moral, exclusive, intolerant word, righteousness. You keep your righteousness, and I'll keep my righteousness. God, you keep your design, and I'll keep my design. Can't we just all do that? Can't we all just keep our righteousness to ourselves? And listen, though, we have to realize that by saying that, by saying that's intolerant, that's restrictive, that statement in and of itself is intolerant and restrictive. The point is, we can't get around the fact that every system of belief, every way of thinking has restrictions, has limitations, will be intolerant. The question is not, are those things going to take place? The question is not, are those things going to be embedded in the way that you think and what you believe? That's inevitable for every single one of us. The question you have to ask yourself is which way of thinking, which way of believing, which system of belief actually leads to flourishing? That's the real question. And look, our shepherd is the creator. He's created you. He knows you. All, every desire of yours, he has put in you and he wants to fulfill He's a creator. This is his world. It's embedded with his design and structures. And when we allow him to lead us so that we integrate into his ways and integrate into his design and integrate into his wisdom, we will flourish. When we don't do that, when we don't follow the shepherd and his wisdom, we're in disharmony. We're out of sync with the way, the path, of righteousness which leads to flourishing. That's what God's offering you today, his faithfulness, his sovereignty, his wisdom. It glorifies him and it's for your good. It's pretty good so far. This is a pretty good shepherd, even a great shepherd. But it gets even better because this last one is really, this is the cherry on top. This is it. This is gold. Our faithful sovereign, wise shepherd, is also near. He's also near us. Look at verse 4. David says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Now that should cause you to pause for a moment because this doesn't make sense. What did David just say before in the, in the first few verses? that I'm in green pastures, I'm by waters of resting places, my soul is restored, I'm in these paths of righteousness. In the very same breath, David says, I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Is this compatible? Like this, this seems irreconcilable. How can David exist 
in the valley of the shadow of death, yet at the same time feel and believe that he's in green pastures and by in, in, a, in an oasis. How is that possible? How is that possible? He says, I'll fear no evil. I'll live in that tension. How? What's his answer? Keep reading in verse 4. He says what? For you, Yahweh, are with me. You're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Look, being led in life by God does not mean it's going to be easy. And it does not mean there won't be sacrifice and discomfort. It does not mean there won't be dark times. There certainly will. We live in the, in, in the lurking shadow of death all the time. It doesn't mean those things go away. This isn't pretend. This is real. But if God is actually faithful, if God is actually sovereign, if God is actually wise, and that's who is with you, above you, below you, beside you, around you, working in you and through you, if that's who is with you, then it's very possible to believe that you are in green pastures by resting places of water, even though, according to what your eyes see, you're in the valley of the shadow of death. Because what determines your joy, listen, what determines your joy, what determines your security, what determines your hope is not your situation. It's not the valley. It's not. It's who is with you. It's who is leading you. Our great shepherd, our sovereign, wise, near shepherd, he is with us. I was preparing the sermon this week. And I was listening to music, so I'll do that. And uh, I was listening to an artist called John Mark McMillan, and he has this cover of this classic song, How He Loves. You know, if you went to church camp, you know that song. So he covers the song, How He Loves. It's pretty good. Uh, at the end, though, he does something really unique. He adds his own verse. He adds his own personal verse to the song. And it's a verse about his best friend who died. And I'm not going to sing it. Maybe I should get Ben up here to sing it, but I'm not going to sing it because then you all leave. So I'm just going to read it. Here's what the lyrics say, though. Here's, here's what this artist uh, uh, talks about. He describes this tension of being in the shadow of the valley, the valley of the shadow of death, yet at the same time feels as though God is near. He says this, I thought about you the day Stephen died, and you met me between my breaking. I know that I still love you, God, despite the agony. See, people, they want to tell me that you're cruel. But if Stephen could sing, he'd say it's not true because you're good. Because you are good. Sometimes all you need to know is that God is with you. <laughs> Sometimes that's all you need to know. It doesn't have to make sense. It often won't. It doesn't need to be explained because if the God who is faithful is with me, then I won't be deserted. If the God who is sovereign is with me, then I don't need to be in control. If the God who is wise is with me, then I do not need to figure it out. He goes before me. He takes care of me. He looks out for me. So here's the summary. God wants to be your shepherd. He leads in faithfulness, sovereignty, wisdom, and nearness. It won't spare you the valley, but it will persevere you through it and even rejoice through it. 
And this causes David to write verses 5 and 6. Here's what he combusts into. Here's David's conclusion based upon God's leadership in his life. He writes in verse 5, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now, try to imagine that. David's saying, I'm in enemy territory. My enemies, my critics are all around me, and I am banqueting. I am feasting because of God's leadership. What else does he say? You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Oil, wine, symbols of of lavishness, of abundance. David says, God, because you're my leader, I I feel chosen. I feel lavished. I feel loved. Verse 6, he concludes, because of all this, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. That word, follow me, surely goodness and mercy will follow me? In the original language, it's far more intense. It's usually used of enemies chasing somebody, pursuing somebody. David is saying, because of your leadership in my life, God, because of your shepherding, goodness and mercy can't even keep up with me. They're chasing me because I'm following you. And it concludes, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David looks forward to, anticipates many days ahead of him of fellowshipping with this shepherd. Because the shepherd has won his heart. The shepherd has won his trust. The shepherd has, has preserved him. <sighs> we are sheep. And every single one of us is looking for a shepherd. The question is, who will it be? Who will you choose? Who will you attach yourself to? There's only one shepherd who's going to do all this for you. There's only one shepherd who's never going to forsake you. There's only one shepherd who, when you leave, is going to leave the 99 to go after the one and come and find you and take you back home. There's only one shepherd, and here he is, and he's offering himself you today. Here's the question now. Why is this an Easter sermon? (laughs) Why would we go through this passage on a day like today? Here's why. Because none of this matters if Jesus was in the grave. All of this is just wishful thinking. All of this is just nice thoughts. All of this is just nebulous, abstract language used to talk about hope in life or something like that. Wishful thinking in life if Jesus was dead. Because he's a fraud in that case. We shouldn't trust him in that case. This is not concrete if Jesus remains in the grave, but because Jesus is alive, because Jesus was resurrected on the third day, we know that all of this is true. All of this is reliable. This is for us and this God, this great shepherd who's offering to us his leadership. We can bank on it because Jesus has risen. In fact, in fact, Everything here that, that, that David is describing, Jesus embodied, Jesus secured for us. So we know that this is true for us if we make God our leader, if we make God our shepherd. Because Jesus, he left the green pastures of heaven. He left the resting places by the water of heaven to come into death's valley, to taste death so that we wouldn't have to, to be given over to his enemies, to die amongst his enemies, so that we could endure the valley of death, so that we could banquet before sin and death and not be intimidated in the least, 
So we know that we have assurance that we will go to greener pastures, that we will go to the oasis that waits for us and even have glimpses and tastes of it here and now. All of this we know is certain because Jesus is alive. God leads us through life. And Jesus is our great shepherd. We can trust him. We can rely on him. He's not asking us to go through anything he has not already done himself and triumphed. In fact, if Jesus is your great shepherd, if you put your trust in him, where he went, where he concluded, so do you. David writes in verse 6, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Well, that's where Jesus currently dwells, at the right hand of the Father in heaven's abode. He prepares a place for us. He is our shepherd and goes before us. And he's already prepared our future home. This is why Christians get jazzed about Easter. Because we know what's going to happen when we die. We know where we're going. We have that assurance because we look back to the historical event called the resurrection. God leads us through life into life after life. And here's where we conclude. Here's where I want to conclude. Because God is our great shepherd, we know we have life after life. That the house that Jesus dwells in, we will too. We will too. And if you believe that, if you believe that, If you believe that, then you know what this life becomes for you? Like this, this wandering 70, 80, 90 years we have here, if we're lucky, if God blesses us. You know what we know what this is? This is just preparation for life after life, the real thing. One theologian says that the Christian life can be compared to, to learning a new song. You know, when we gather here and you're, we're learning a new song, for instance, you're like, start too soon. You're off rhythm, you sing out of tune, you don't really like it at first because it doesn't connect because it's all new, but what happens after a few reps? What happens after a, a few times of singing that song? It connects. It becomes your song, it becomes a new song. And that's what this life is like. We, because of our great shepherd, endure the valley of the shadow of death, we endure enemy territory, we are surrounded by our enemies, and we get tastes of the comfort of God, the green pastures, the resting places of water, we get, we, we have a we taste those things and experience those things. And you know what it, what it tells our soul? Do you know what it presses down into us? There will be a day where all that we experience, the only thing that we experience is greener pastures. The only thing we experience is the oasis. No more valley of the shadow of death. No more enemies surrounding us. The only thing that we will enjoy forever and ever and ever is the nearness of God, our great shepherd. The whole Christian life is learning a new song that we will sing for eternity. And we'll sing it loud because our great shepherd is risen and our great shepherd is trustworthy and our great shepherd is near. Let's pray. Father, we trust you. Help us to trust you. Increase our faith to believe that you are enough. We praise you, Father, for resurrecting your Son, for proving to us and validating to us that you are trustworthy and true and you keep all your promises and we can bank on you.
God, I pray that you would press these truths deep down into us, that today, today, God, we would feel more desire, feel more yearning, be persuaded just a little bit more to trust you as our great shepherd and let you lead us through life into life after life. We pray these things in the name of our risen Jesus. Amen. For more information about Citizens Church, please go to citizensannapolis.com.